the hillside. I've had a good time all week being in Korea. Led a couple of conferences and, uh, you know, typical Korean way after uh, you speak, you go eat, then you speak, and then you eat, and then you have dinner, and you prophesy, and you speak, and you eat, and then they drop you off at the hotel enough time for you to take a nap and uh, wake up in the morning and do it again, and again, and again, and again, and so... Um, it's, it's been fun for me. It's uh, been a pleasure. I, I actually came to do two conferences and then uh, decided to stay over three or four days and just meet some friends, some people I've met in Korea in the past. I've uh, been here coming to this country for probably this is my 12th or 13th year. Uh, so it's, uh, I, I, I'm not Korean. <laughs> I can't even tell you it's my second nation. It's my third because I'm American from Texas, uh, but I don't live in the U.S. anymore. I live in Israel on the Sea of Galilee. And so, I'm a little Israeli now. <laughs> so, uh, Shalom. Um, it's not the Sabbath. It is a Sabbath here, but not at home. It's a work day in Israel. My husband works for a company that uh, does uh, electronics, high-tech company. Their largest client is Samsung because they make cell phone antennas, and that's Koreans. And so they deal with a lot of Koreans, and uh, it's been quite exciting to see all the things that God's doing there. He's always wanted to do business as mission. My husband is convinced that it will be businessmen who go into the mission field in countries that are close to missionaries, you know? And so he's out doing business, and we're... We're working with Arabs and Jews and Christians all together in a peaceful environment where we live. Uh, I don't know how long it will be peaceful. My husband said we just got delivered our gas mask. He has one and I have one in preparation for war in the coming months. Um, he's been to war preparedness studies, uh, uh, classes, and so he says we're all ready. I said, don't let it happen without me, please. <laughs> i got to be there. I want to be home if, it, if, if Israel goes to war and if anything happens. So you know, watch the news. And when you see anything, um, think of us, okay? But uh, I, I, I don't fret. I don't worry. I, you know, the best place to be is in the center of God's will. The safest place to be. I can't think of a safer place to be. Can you? Uh, and if it's war going on around me, it's just going on around me. If I'm in God's will, it's the safest place to be. And, and if you're sitting right in the middle of a nice, luxurious American town in middle class or upper class America, uh, and it's not what God wants, that's a dangerous place to be. You know, you want to make sure you're in the in a place where God has for you. I uh, I come to you today as a mom. Um, people often ask me all my credentials. Okay, Vicki, where have you done this? And when did you go to school? And what did you do? And how, how many places have you been to these places? And what is your status? And what is your position? You know, especially Koreans, they like to know that you have them. <laughs> and um, I'm reminded of the time I spoke at a missions conference, a large missions conference, and I was a seminar um, leader at this conference. And I sat around the table at lunchtime before all the seminars were in the afternoon. And uh, they said, uh, I sat around with these guys, and all of them were men, one other woman, and they said, where did you get your doctorate of ministry? Well, actually, they said, where did you get your demon? And I go, I don't know, was I supposed to pick it up at the door? <laughs> uh, I didn't know what a demon was, you know? And I said, no, don't have that. 
Uh, and they said, well, so uh, they began to talk about all the seminaries where they teach. And I went, wow, okay, that's really pretty impressive. They said, what do you do? I said, I'm a mom. They said, that's it. And I go, I have a little, I pray for people, I'm a mom. They go, oh, okay, they just wrote me off. Um, they said, well, the seminars they had had yesterday were not well attended, and maybe someone would come to my seminar, and blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, I'm sure people will come. I did a seminar. I did, you do three in a row at this conference, so you, you, know, you do one, and you take a 10-minute break, and you do one, and you take a 10-minute you know, break, and you do it three times in a row. Actually, a 30-minute break. So I remember teaching at this conference, and uh, at the end of the first session, which had 250 people in it, and it was completely filled, there was not a seat, they came to me and they said, uh, you're going to need to move. And I said, move? Is there a problem here? And they said, yeah. We had 500 people who couldn't get in the room. Went, wow, okay. So we moved, and it was this theater, and it was packed to the brim. And by the third session, they said, they've sent somebody in because they've chosen me to be taped. The only 10 out of the 300 seminars was going to be taped because there were still 1,000 people that couldn't get in. <laughs> and I said, wow, okay. So I went back to lunch the next day to sit with all these seminar, seminary professors. And they said, uh, well, did anybody come to your seminar? Seminar, And I said, uh, yeah, 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 they were full. Good. Where, do you, where were they? And I said, oh, in the chemistry building, and da, 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 da. And they go, do you mean that long line that was standing, people outside, they were trying to get in to see you? And I go, I, yeah. They said, what's your name? <laughs> let, let, let's, let's rehearse what we did yesterday, but I ignored you. What's your name? Who are you? Where do you live? And what do you do? <laughs> and, uh, so it was, you know, I realized that uh, just being a mom was probably all the credentials I need. Uh, so I come to you today as a mom. Uh, because I found out that a lot of people don't have spiritual moms. They don't have moms that they can ask questions of. I've met people all week long that said, can I have your email? Can I get on your Facebook? I can't do Twitter. I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> Actually, I get frustrated with Facebook, and my daughter says, I'm frustrated with Facebook because too many people Twitter on Facebook. You know, they write just little little, little things that they don't need to say. So, um, anyway, I, uh, you know, things like, it's raining outside, I'm bored, you know, my tomato plants bloom today, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't need that. So, anyway... <laughs> I'm out, for, I'm out to change the world. So I'm like, okay, so I can't do the Twitter thing, I don't think. But anyway, I am on Facebook. You can look me up. But I'm, I'm finding more and more people are saying, you know, well, you just, I just need a mom. I just need somebody to ask questions. I just need somebody who will love me. And they said, what, what's the difference between a mom and a mentor? I said, you know, to me, a mom, a mom believes in you. A mom knows that you have a purpose and a plan. A mom says you can do anything and go anywhere. You know, a mom loves you no matter what. You know, she's not out to discipline you. She's not out to train you. She's just out to love you. And um, so even last service, I didn't have this introduction. And the guy, what Caleb got up, he says, oh, my gosh, I love today. Vicky reminds me of my mom. <laughs> uh, so I come to you as a mom, and I wanted to share a scripture with you in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 
You know, where I live, there are three fathers of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, oftentimes I think of them as being the grandpa, the father, and the son. And actually, before I do that, let me t- let's turn to Psalm 24. Um, because Psalm 24 talks about the Jacobs. And today I feel like that's what I'm talking to, Jacobs. I'm talking to you guys, the kids, the young people, a younger generation of, of people who know and love God. And... Um, People who may have been raised in the faith or people who have become born again and know Jesus and are pursuing God. So I'm talking to Jacobs. So y'all don't mind being Jacob, right? Uh, but starting in verse 3, it says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek thy face. The generation of Jacob. It's your generation. It's a generation of the young people who say, yeah, I want to seek him and seek his face. And Isaiah 44, starting in verse 1. But now listen, O Jacob, my servants, that you all, mm-hmm. and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord, who made you, and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Yeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground, and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars of street by streams of water. This one will say, I am the Lord's. And that one will call on the name of Jacob. And another will write in his hand, belonging to the Lord, and will name Israel's name with honor. God says he's going to pour out his spirit on his offspring. That's you. You ready? You ready for his spirit to be poured out upon you? I want it. I want, I want his spirit. And not only that, you will be... Have water as on thirsty land. You're thirsty? You're hungry? God's ready to pour some water out on you. God's ready to soak you. You want to be soaked? Me too. Me too. Go to the Niagara Rally. (laughs) Niagara Praise Rally? Is that Niagara Conference? It's a conference. uh, This week is Praise Rally. This week is the Praise Rally. Two weeks later, the conference. Two weeks later, the conference. Go get soaked. I was thinking about going to Niagara Falls when I read about it, and I thought, Hey, how many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? I'm that incredible amount of water pouring over those falls. It's just like overwhelming. And uh, But you know, most of us just watch. Most of us just watch. And you know, every once in a while, I see somebody in a boat or someone who tries to get into the falls. You know what I think about them? I think they're foolish. <laughs> These guys must be fools. They must be fools. For God, I'm thinking... You know, get in. <laughs> Y'all show up at that conference and get in the water. You, you soak, okay? You jump in. Don't don't stand back and watch. You don't get wet that way, okay? And your life doesn't change that way either. You want your life changed? Oh, jump in. 
jump in and let the water soak you, flood you. You know, some of you have dry hearts. Some of you are like, you know, I've been a Christian a long time. I am just dry inside. I'm just dry. And I come to this church and I come to participate, but somehow I'm still dry inside. That just means you need to be soaked again. And again. And again. How many of you sometimes say, you know, they can't just feel dry. I, I know there's more out there. I just don't have it in my life. Do you feel that way? Let me see. Okay. Let, 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 me, let me give you a word. <laughs> um, I live in Texas. Well, I live in Israel. Both, both places. It's the same, which is really dry weather in the summertime. And I love garden plants and hanging baskets. Okay, I love this beautiful hanging basket with all my beautiful flowers. But it's so hot outside, it doesn't take long for it to dry up. I mean to tell you, it just dries up so fast. Do you know what happens when it's really dry? I get the water. And I take the pot of water, the gallon of water in my port, in my um, watering can, and I pour the water on the plant. And do you know what happens to the water? It just goes straight on through. It doesn't even soak in. It just goes straight. The, the plant is so dry, when I pour the water in, it just goes straight through. And I think, wow, God, you know, what's wrong with that? I wait a few minutes. And then I get some more water. Maybe I wait 30 minutes or an hour, and this time I pour some more water. You know what happens this time? Oh, only some of it drains through. Some of it the soil can hold. I wait about 30 minutes or an hour, and then I get some more water. And I pour it in. Third time. Fourth time. By this time, oh, now when I pour the water in, it holds. And I think that's what happens for some of us. Your heart's so dry. You're so hungry. You're so thirsty. Did you go to a meeting and say, please, is it this meeting, Lord? Is it today? Is it this worship time? God, is this the speaker who has a word for me? Is this the day that the God is going to show up and speak to me? Is this the day? God, would you do it today? <laughs> and sometimes the Lord comes in a mighty wave of worship and power. And you think, wow, other people received. I didn't get it. Have you ever been in those meetings? Come on, have you ever been in those meetings? And other people are on the floor, and other people are soaking in God, and they're like, I don't feel any difference. <laughs> Nothing happened to me. What is wrong with me? I'm here to tell you you're dry. Keep coming. Keep soaking. Keep letting the water come. Keep worshiping. Keep praying. Keep praying. Okay? Keep doing it. Because when that happens, pretty soon, your soul, your spirit, is going to start soaking it in. Start soaking it in. And go, wow. Wow, this is good. I'm being refreshed. I'm being refreshed. And that's what you need. Okay? So, unfortunately, many of us we go to a couple of meetings. We go to hear the Lord. We open the Bible for Scripture. And we don't get zapped. And we don't feel like it's changed us. So we quit. And we become more dry. And more dry. And the more dry you become, 
the more time it takes for Mama Vicky to water you. The more times it takes for the Holy Spirit to come and water you. Okay? But just because the water flushes through, ah, just wait and come again until that water falls. Does that make sense to you? So I believe that God is saying this day is the beginning for many of you for another watering. Another watering. And today I want to speak to you as a mom that just says you're loved, you're cared for. The day you were born was one of the most incredible, special days of your mother's life. I'm not saying she told you or didn't tell you. I'm just saying it was a special day. Because you're an incredibly beautiful, gifted, amazing person. That has nothing to do with what you do or what kind of grades you make or what size clothes you wear. It doesn't have anything to do with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife. It just has to do with you and how beautiful you are. And, and I don't know about you, but nobody loves you like your mama. My daughter was looking for a job. And so she filled out, she made a resume, application, a resume to send out to look for a job. I looked at it and I said, that is not a good resume. She says, Mom, I worked really hard on it. I said, I'm rewriting it. <laughs> so I wrote it and made these suggestions and emailed it to her. She said, Mom, everyone will know my mother wrote my resume. <laughs> everyone will know that you wrote it. They will not figure that I wrote it or anybody else. They will know my mother wrote it. And I said, well, Amy, I'm just being truthful. She goes, Mother, you're being truthful from a mom's perspective because you think I'm perfect. And I said, that's right, I do. So uh, I wrote her resume. She did edit it. <laughs> yeah, she, she went and sent it out. She says, Mom, everyone will think you wrote it. But um, I, 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 I want to share that for some of you who didn't have a mom, didn't have a mother, now that's the role of the church. The church, that's why they always say the church is the bride. The church is the mother church. Yet a lot of times it is the church. It is your friends and family, your church, that are your mom. They're the ones that are there for you. They're the, they're the ones to support you. They're the ones to say, you can do it. You can do it. You can go there. I came here today to tell you that I've been meeting with amazing apostolic men. I can't say women because they've only been men. I'm the only woman in the group. Um, I'm the only woman and because I, go, I get to go pray for them. And uh, I'm really, really grateful. I stand in the back. I pray for these men until they want to shop for their wives and then I help them shop. <laughs> I, I don't mind that. You know, I don't, I don't mind shopping. They, we go to different places in different countries. They want to buy some for, for their wives. And they say, Vicki, you have to pick this up. You have to do this. <laughs> we don't know how to do this. And after watching them shop, I believe it. Uh, <laughs> They're all type A, huge visionaries whose missions are huge, whose uh, the numbers they influence are enormous. Uh, out of the 10 leaders, uh, they directly lead 1.8 million people. Haven't divided that up, but that's a lot. Uh, one of them is small. He works in the West Bank in Israel. And he plants churches for Muslim background believers. He's planted five churches for Muslims. That's huge. Numbers-wise, oh, maybe 50 people. 
Leading 50 Muslims to the Lord is huge. Okay? But he doesn't add many to that 1.8 million people. Uh, but he's a church planter nonetheless. So I'm meeting these wonderful people, and my whole paradigm of mission is changing. I'm getting a new understanding of what God is wanting to do. And it, I asked them, I said, what is your mission? What is your mission? What do you want to do? What is your calling? What is your mission? And it turns out all ten of them have the same mission. They all have the same one. They said, Vicki, we don't have to come up with a mission. It's already written here. Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I said, make disciples of nations. I don't know how to do that. I'm doing good. Just gather a group of people around me, young women, and disciple them. I brought my friend Phyllis here. I'm discipling her, helping her raise, be raised up as another ministry leader and, and, and as a prophetic voice and releasing her. Okay, that's, I, I can do one. <laughs> I can do a handful. Uh, I can train. But discipling a nation? Are you kidding me? I even got pretty good at doing cities, praying for cities. I was really big. I'm really excited about it. July 4th, because today's July 4th, and I love America. I'm American, and I really got charged praying for America. I used to take prayer journeys and lead people how to pray in Washington, D.C. And we went into the Oval Office multiple times and prayed for major leaders uh, of America. So it would be fun to be here on July 4th and get to participate with some other Americans. But I love, I love America. But God said, we're to disciple a nation. Disciple a nation. What does that mean? Disciple means to be a pupil. So it means you're going to be teaching. You're going to teach a nation how to connect with Jesus. How to be a part of the kingdom of God. Um, and that means you have to touch every part of society. You need to reach out to the government. You have to work with the business leaders. It means you work with the media and the arts, the entertainment industry. And you don't look just for Christians to do that. You embrace everyone. When you touch every realm of society, you know, you, you embrace people and their friend before they know Jesus. You know, the church has it backwards. You know, I'm reminded of a guy, um, oh, worship leader, songwriter out of England. I can't remember his name right now. But he wrote a song, I Belong to Jesus, I Belong to Him. And he said when the song was being released... He said they were playing it from the um, store, from the recording store, from the from the store you buy at the bookstore. They were playing this music out in the parking lot. And lines of people were there. And they were coming because this CD was being released in this song. And um, they were singing, I belong to Jesus, I belong to Jesus, I belong to Jesus. And this guy called his pastor and he said, wait a minute. You know what? I've been looking at these people. They don't know Jesus. They're not even Christians. How can they be singing this song? This is something's wrong here. How can all these people be rocking and dancing and singing this song saying, I belong to Jesus? When they're not even believers. And the pastor said something wise that I'll never forget. He said, You know, we forget. Because they want to belong first. Then they'll be late. And the church says, 
you believe Jesus, then you can do wrong. Believe first, then you can do wrong. So we've got backwards. We've got to embrace people, love people, let them join with you, belong with them. Ah, then once they belong, well, your faith will rub off on them. Okay? They will want to know who your Christ is, who your Lord is. Uh, I'm mindful of a friend of mine in Texas who works with uh, Muslims. He's a pastor of a church, several thousand people. He's planted about 150 churches in America, which is huge. That's, that's a lot of churches to plant in America. And uh, he says that his closest friends are Muslims. He loves Muslim people. Now, this makes him very unpopular in the body of Christ, let me tell you. The church doesn't like it. Other ministries speak against it. They write about him in magazines. They say, don't go to his church. Have nothing to do with him. And they print things and they put him down because, after all, he's working with Muslims. Who does he think he is? Let me tell you some of his stories. Let me tell you what he does. He has decided that the only way, here's what he tells me, thinking the only way Muslims are going to come to know Jesus is I find him their friend. If all they know of Christians is we hate them, we won't talk to them, we won't listen to them, we don't respect them, we think they're terrorists, they will never come to faith in Christ. So he says, I'm not to set a pattern that I care about Muslim people and I'm willing to be their friend. It started not, oh, probably about four years ago when he was invited to speak at the World Islamic Congress in Dubai. He went to speak there. He was the only Christian there, and certainly the only Christian speaker, and Evangelical Southern Baptist, no less. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, he's totally into praying and getting people saved and born again. That's his entrance point. So here he was going to this, and the people were aghast. The Muslim leaders kept coming to him and saying, wow, we've never seen anybody like you. We can't believe you're willing to talk to us. We can't believe you're willing to lead us and and, 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 and care about what we say. And uh, he want, they all want to talk religion. You know, it's very popular in Islam to talk religion. It's very popular to talk about God. So they all want to talk about God. And you know what? They believe in Jesus. They believe Jesus is a real person. He was a prophet. They believe in him. So you don't have to convince them that Jesus existed. They believe that. So he just had to talk to them... <laughs> about his faith, they want to talk about it. They want to talk about their faith. They want to talk about God and who is God. So he talks and he asks them questions and they answer. And he's now on a committee in the UN. And this particular committee uh, is a faith committee with the leading, uh, what do they call them, the leading religious minds of the world have gathered together and they gather several times a year how to share what the impact is of religion and faith in societies and in their nations. And he goes and he talks to all these people. He told me not long ago a couple of stories. He said, I was, I was with um, this one gentleman at one of the meetings and we were just laughing. And he's, yeah, he's a big old Texan. He wears his cowboy boots and his big belt buckle and he says, I'm a Texan. And, you know, this pastor, and I'm thinking, oh man, you know, he's kind of an interesting guy. And he always says, 
he goes in and he is really laughing with this man, just really talking to him. And finally, some comes up and says, yes, Secretary General. And he goes, you're Secretary General? Secretary General of what? He said, I'm the Secretary General of the EU, European Union. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Let me back up a little bit. Uh, and he's sharing Jesus. So recently, he um, was invited by Al Jazeera Network. Y'all familiar with Al Jazeera Network, the leading Arabic network, to come and speak at a conference in April. And they said, we'll cover your airfare, we'll put you in a nice Muslim hotel, uh, and we will pay for all your expenses. And he goes, wow, okay, I'll come. He went and he was meeting with some of the, he thinks about the top two or three hundred Muslim leaders from around the world. He had an opportunity to meet two leading Taliban members from Afghanistan. Actually, one from Pakistan, one from Afghanistan. One of them was the number two guy. Well, he was sitting there and talking with him. And he was sharing about the Lord. Sharing about his faith. Listening to their stories of their faith. When all of a sudden, this woman comes up who knew Bob before and said, Hey, to these people, he said, You're not listening to him preach, are you? And the Taliban leader said, Well, we're just um, talking about our faith. And they said, Well, watch out. Don't let him... Don't make him sign your Bible. They said, why not? And they said, this woman said, if they sign your if your Bible, oh, Bob prays for you and you'll end up being a Christian. So watch out. Don't sign his Bible. So she said, well, so long. I'll, and she left. And these two Taliban leaders, this was just in May, said, by the way, um, can we see your Bible? He said, what's in my hotel room? Let me go get it. So he gets it. He opens it. And he says, in the back, he has all these names. I mean, I, every time I see him, I sign his Bible. Every, you know, every meeting, he has people sign his Bible. So he, And people were signing his Bible. Amazing. Communist leaders, Muslim leaders, presidents of nations, ambassadors of nations, high members of parliaments, and they're signing his Bible. And they said, wow, well, we want to sign your Bible. <laughs> and he said, you do? And they said, yeah. But let me ask you something. They said, does that mean you're going to pray for us? And he said, I will pray that you will know the one true God. And they said, okay, we want to know the one true God. We want to sign your Bible. And they signed his Bible. We want you to pray for us. Great. I'm mindful of a friend of mine who's working in India. And right now in India, he's working in all the realms of society to see that society changed. One of the things he did is in doing this, he's meeting with the leading Buddhist of the land. Uh, and the highest Buddhist priest met with him. Now most of us would say, we don't want anything to do with Buddhism. We don't want to have anything to do with Islam. We don't want to do anything with Hindus. They're outside the realm of the people that we want to meet with. They're not like us. They don't believe like us. We're too busy doing our thing. But he met with this top Buddhist leader. And they said, what kind of thing are you doing in India? And he says, I'm talking about the caste and being and tearing down the caste system in this nation, the Christians said. He said, well, I'm very interested in that. He said, because the caste system in this country has devastated our land. And it prevents it from moving forward and from the people 
changing and believing they have a life ahead of them. And he said, that's right. So they began to share, and then the Buddhist turned around and he said, I have something I want to say. He says, I believe India has significant problems, and there's only one answer to the major problems of India, and that answer is Jesus Christ. He said, keep doing what you're doing. I'm writing you a check for your ministry. And about 20% of his ministry right now, which is touching millions, about 20% of his ministry is being supported by Hindus and Buddhists. Wouldn't that be cool? If the Buddhists start giving us money here at New Philly, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Hey, you know, you need your rent paid. I think y'all are doing a good thing. We're going to just pay your rent this year. That'd be cool. So what we're seeing is people moving outside the box. And it's like, whoa, this is just totally messing me up. Bob, my friend, my Texan friend, he uses the Koran. So he takes the Koran to his meetings, and when they want to talk about Jesus, he opens up the Koran. He uses the Koran to lead people to the saving knowledge of Christ. Wow. I didn't think you could do that. But the church doesn't like him. He doesn't fit into their mold. He doesn't fit into their mold. I told, by the way, you have to get the message from this morning or listen to it, and listen to it online, because it's a whole different one. But uh, I, I told some stories this morning about what's happening in northern India. What does it mean to disciple a nation? Because discipling a nation is different than discipling a person. But who, does it, who will disciple a nation? Disciples. Disciples of Jesus can disciple nations. You know, and we need to find a way to empower indigenous leaders, empower the people who are there to go out and church plant. In India, it's interesting that all the surrounding areas of, of Nepal and Tibet, Bhutan, all those, Bangladesh, all those regions, it's very difficult for missionaries to go into those areas. It's very difficult for some of the missionaries to get into those places. But Indians have free access. They don't even need a passport. They can go from those all around those countries. So we empower and church plant and train up Indians, North Indians. Ah, they've already got an in. They don't have to learn the language. They don't have to learn the culture. They know the ways, and so we've seen so many of them go into those regions and those areas. I had an opportunity to meet a man because they, in North India, when I was there in April, they were having a dinner for business leaders and politicians. One of the people I met was a Chinese man uh, who had been living in India all of his life, uh, lives in a very, very northern part, and his closest friend is the Dalai Lama. And uh, I thought, oh my goodness. God, this is just really messing me up. None of these people have written Christian books. None of these people have DVDs and they're not on Christian TV. I, I, I can't quite cope with working with all of these folks that are way outside my scope. Anyway, this Chinese guy and I start having this conversation. The guy is this incredibly super intellectual man. He's rewriting laws and changing the parliament in um, India. And he's not a Christian. And doesn't intend to be. He says. At this point. Yet. 
he wants, but he wants to work and connect with the pastors and what God is doing spiritually in India because he says it's changing our whole region. The gospel of Jesus Christ is changing it. He says, so I need to be hearing in what's happening and what they're doing. And in a way, supporting it. So he takes his day off and bring, spends a whole evening with Christians, not with many Christians, because some of them weren't Christians, because we were meeting all these politicians. And he wanted to come out and talk with the politicians. He said, I'm sharing these things with the Dalai Lama. You know, he and I are best friends. And like, oh God, you just share with the Dalai Lama, Lord Jesus. You just, you just set these people up to do it. Because it's not like what I would do it. It's not my way of thinking. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about caste. But my friend in India has pretty much convinced, and I think I agree, that the caste problem of where you have uh, certain segments of the population in each category, and you are born into that caste, and you can't change. That's it. You're born in caste number one. You are wealthy beyond belief. You have influence beyond belief. Uh, if you're born in, and you can control everyone under you. If you are in caste number three, then you can only influence your caste and those below it. And so it's quite amazing. And when you're in a caste, you can't get, you can't go up. You can't be better. The only way you can be raised to a higher caste is if you are very faithful and loyal and obedient and you serve the ones above you and you remain in your caste without complaint, then when you die you can be reincarnated, maybe, hopefully, one step up. So, you really don't want to complain. You really want to just serve and stay low and stay small. Because maybe next time, you'll get a better chance. You can't become a Christian. If you became a Christian, wow, that would really mess up your caste. Because your caste aren't Christians. But I want to tell you about one caste. You see, they're different castes. Um, and often the castes are delineated by what they do. Whether it's, you know, they do business, manufacturing, that kind of thing. Uh, economy, trade. You know, if they're a ruler caste, they are spiritual caste. And by the way, the caste system itself, although it's been set in place for hundreds of years, it was affirmed and established in the greatest by the Church of England. Second, because they could empower, control, dictate, in India best by do by agreeing with the caste system. Then they could only touch the elites and the elite. Wicked, wicked system. And uh, the church affirmed it. Blessed it and worked with the caste. You know, that's, that's what religion does. But there was one caste called, is called, that works with the livestock, works with the cattle, uh, well, not really cattle because those are gods. So take out cattle. But they work with the chickens, the sheep, the goats, you know, all of the livestock. It's called the shepherd caste. Uh, these are people that work outdoors. There's about one and a half million 
uh, in this particular cast. And um, about three or four years ago, the leaders of this cast met together. And they said this. They said, you know what? We, we're not so sure Hinduism is working out for us. <laughs> you know, there's whatever, 30, 100 million gods, whatever it is. Uh, we're not getting very far with them. And so I think what we need to do is consider maybe another religion for our cast. Maybe we really shouldn't be Hindus. Maybe we should adopt something else. So the first thing they did is try Buddhism. And they got all the great these leaders of the shepherd cast got all these great books and started reading the writings of Buddha and the key Buddhist priest. At the end of their study, they said, nope, we're not Buddhist. This is not working for us. It's no better than Hinduism. We don't want to be Buddhist. So we said, well, you know, India is the second largest Muslim population, second to only Indonesia. Let's try Islam. So they got a holy Quran. All of them started reading this Quran. And they studied and read the entire thing and got together for discussions and said, you know what, this isn't it. We cannot agree and abide by this. There's nothing about the God of Islam that would relate to us or our people. I don't think he would understand us. This is not it. So they said, let's try the Christianity approach. Somebody grab us a Holy Bible. So they grabbed the Holy Bible. They passed it out. Several of them took the Bible. And they began to read together. And they read through the Old Testament beginning in Genesis. They got to the Psalms. 23. They got to Psalm 23 and it says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And they went, Oh, hallelujah! He's one of us! We have found our God! It is Jehovah! He is a shepherd! He is like us! We knew that there was a God who would understand us. We knew that there was a God on high. We knew there was a creator who created us to be this way. They continued reading the Holy Bible, found out that Jesus was their Redeemer. Jesus was the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus was their shepherd, and they could hear his voice, and he would speak to them. And then, this is our God. This is the one whom we will serve. But they said we are an intelligent cast. We are educated. And so, therefore, we do not want to forcefully tell everyone in our cast who they should serve, and what God they should believe in. So we would like something like 5 million copies of the Bible that we can give to the people in our cast so they can read and find Jesus for themselves. And they said, please don't leave out Psalm 23. They said, oh no. Let me So some things that I've learned this year in all my travels, is that God works way outside the box. And His plans are amazing. 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 I remember thinking, God, why are you doing this in India? What are you doing here? Was it because of some great prayer movement? Was it because somebody prophesied on high that this, this incredible movement is going to happen of salvation and revival in India? Nope. 
It's just a sovereign will of God. He just chose India. And by quiet times, I've been asking God, why India, Lord? Why not America? Why not Europe? They need Jesus. Oh, goodness, please come to the land of the Messiah, Israel. Would you come to Israel, Lord, and open the eyes of the Jewish people? I can't believe they live right there in the midst of the word and the truth, and they cannot see. That you have blinded their eyes? Lord, let the revival be there. Lord, let the revival come. Maybe it, maybe it will begin in South Africa that will be wild. And the Lord has said, Vicki, I'm specifically chosen India. What we are seeing in the last decade was a tremendous revival in China. Right? You've read, house churches turning up everywhere, tens of thousands, maybe as many as 100,000 people a day coming to know Jesus. A day in China. Incredible move of God in China. My friends who work as leaders in China says, by the way, that's coming to an end in some areas. And in other areas, especially in the Muslim areas, the government is opening wide the doors for Christians and missionaries to work there. Because they said, you know why? They said, we want the Christians in those Muslim places because they're people of peace and people of order and who obey the laws. And they're evangelists and they'll reach these Muslims. So the government of China is open in some regions. But in much it's closing. So you see this incredible wave in China. And I will tell you, my friend who is a prophet said, the, the move will happen in India in 10 years, from 2010 to 2020. It's just begun. I mean, it's sweeping. It's, it's amazing. So if it's happening in India and China, see, God, why do he said, Vicki, you've lived through this season, you've lived through the years of America being a world power. Where America, the freedom and democracy has ruled in many ways, controlled and had tremendous influence over the entire world. America's tremendous influence in every nation. He said, but it will not be forever. It will come to a close the influence of America will be reduced. And when that happens, I will be raising up other world powers. Who will they be? Probably China and India. Now, if God is going to allow China and India to take a, a higher influential role in the affairs of the nations, don't you think it would be nice if some Christians were in there? <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool that there were Christians in the parliament, in their government, and then their businessmen, and their education forces, I mean, in their education and their military forces? God said, I am moving powerfully with revival because he has a plan. He has a strategy. And it's way beyond me. Way beyond me. I have some Arab friends. And the fact is, my Arab friends in Israel are there's far more Arab Christians in Israel than Jewish Christians. You know, the church sides often with Israel and opposed to the Arabs. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Our brothers in Christ are mostly Arab. Our brothers in Christ are not Jewish. Um, so it's, it, I've had to learn that, you know, some of the things I see and read, especially in the news, are not very accurate. Um, although I am 
pro-Jewish, I am pro-Israel. You know, it's um, but it's a very interesting thing. We've got to see that our paradigm shift when we're open to these things outside the realm of our understanding. And we need to be open to the ways of God, working in people that aren't like us. They don't think like us, don't look like us, and don't even believe like us. They don't believe like us. But watch out, because these people are going to probably partner us for the winning of souls, for the Great Commission. They're going to fund it, they're going to release it, they're going to open doors for it, and that's what we're seeing happening in India. When there's problems, right now there's huge persecution that's happening at the same time revival. That's the other thing my pastor taught me. He said, you want revival in America? I said, I do. I want revival in America. I want to see God come and just huge moves. I want to see people healed, made whole, and saved. He said, well, then you need to be praying for persecution, for your churches to be burned, for your pastors to be tortured, for your leaders to be killed. (laughs) Initially, I thought, well, that's not, if, if it'll bring revival, I'll do it. I'll, I'll pray those things. God, it'll bring revival. That night, I went to bed on my pillow and I started thinking of Pastor Charles and Pastor Bob. I thought of Louis Giglio. I thought of that building that I invested my money in that built my church. I started thinking of those people who are leaders and I'm thinking, wait a minute. I don't want them to go to prison. I don't want them to be in jail. I would be really upset. It would be the devil if my church burned down. And if anything happened to my pastors. I realized, God, your ways are higher than mine. I don't know that I can pray, but just do a solemn work so people will come to me. So what does the Great Commission say? It says, go into all the world. And disciple nations. But before you can go, you've got to be a disciple. How do you get to be a disciple? You come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You get soaked. You go to the praise rallies. You go to the conferences. You get wet again and again and again and again. And you worship and you love and you read the word again and again and again. And you get soaked. You get wet inside. Where your thirsty, hungry soul is drenched. And that is the season for me, Phil. The season right now for you all is to get soaked. Experience revival. Experience the soaking. Experience the laughter. Experience the power of God. It's a season for you. I hope it lasts a long time. I do. I hope it's so much fun. I hope it lasts a long time. But there'll be a day that you're going to say, you know what? We're filled up. We're soaked. We're ready. To go. You come to Jesus so you can go for Jesus. And when you go for Jesus, you don't have to go to a place where it's wet because you'll be soaked inside. You don't need to go to a place for revival where there's revival because revival will be in you. And that's what you ask for. God, I need revival in here, in me. I need to be soaked in me. And I will tell you this. You're dry and thirsty. You just keep telling God you're dry and thirsty and pursuing Him and you will get soaked. That's how it goes. 
just like a baby. I have a new granddaughter who's a month old. And my little mom, that little baby, when she's hungry, she screams. And you know what? Everyone in the house stops until that baby is fed. Things stop until the baby is fed. She's hungry. And if you don't feed her, guess what she does? Screams louder. And if you don't feed her, guess what she does? Screams more. Okay? So you go screaming to God, would you? God, I'm hungry. Now I'm hungry. I'm starving. I need more of you. I'm tired of church stuff. I'm tired of plans. I'm tired of going to meetings. God, I just want you. I want more of you. I am desperate, desperate, desperate. The problem is most of us aren't desperate because we got too many nice things. We don't really need Jesus. You got everything you need here. When you get desperate for him, he will be there for you. I promise. Because that's who he is. That's who he is. Amen? So you take this opportunity in the next few weeks, in the next few months, to soak before the Lord, to love God, to be hungry for him. And you tell him, not just singing a song, I'm desperate for you, I'm desperate for you, you're the air I breathe, come on. You don't believe it. When you believe it, I mean, when you grab hold of it and say, God, you are as important to me as the air I breathe. Right now, I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty. Are you thirsty? My lips are dry. I've been talking all day. I'm thirsty. Are you thirsty? You know, where's my water? You know, I, I think I'll just sit here and drink in front of you. You know what happens when I drink in front of you? And you're thirsty? Actually, it's cold water. It's really good. <laughs> it's really refreshing. When I drink in front of you and you're thirsty, you're apt to say, Vicki, can I have a sip? I want, I want some. I want some of this. I, I, I want some. How many say, I want some? You want some more? himself from you. He's not out. This is my last point. I keep saying last point. But here's my last point. God is not out to hide himself from you. He wants to disclose himself to you. Okay? Now how many of you have ever been on an Easter egg hunt? Have y'all know anything about Easter eggs? I love Bill Johnson's story about Easter eggs. Because this is totally how we are. As a mama, when I have an Easter egg hunt for my children, I hide those eggs for my kids. But you know what happens when they're two years old? I hide them just right on the table so they can find them. 
And they walk around and they're just barely toddling, you know, and they can find those eggs and put them in their basket. But when they get to be about four or five years old, oh, I hide them maybe under the couch. They have to look a little hard. When they get to be older, ooh, I may dig under a plant and stick it inside and cover it with dirt. <laughs> but do you know why I hide the eggs? Do I hide the eggs so they will not find them? No. I hide the eggs so they will search for them. I hide the eggs so they'll search for them. So when does the child get most excited? At an Easter egg hunt. When is he excited? When he finds the egg. I'm like, they get really excited. And let me tell you, as a parent, as a mother or a father, when are we the most excited? When they find that egg. The joy when they find their treasure is fantastic. I think if God were to just say, here's all my truths. Bam, 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 bam. Here's everything you need to know. Da, 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 da. And you never had to search. And you never had to seek. Because none of them were hidden. You would take them. You would waste them. You wouldn't pay attention to them. But when you have to look for them, when you have to search for them, when you have to work for them, and you find the egg, you find the truth, you find the secret, you find the contentment, oh, it's really precious to you. You worked for it. You found it. And God's sitting in heaven smiling because you found a treasure. So God's saying sometimes we've got we to gotta seek after him. We gotta seek. We gotta search. We gotta. We gotta. We gotta really climb. We gotta go after him. We have to be desperate. Amen. So my word to you today is: come to Jesus, because God's calling you to go for Him. Amen.